steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs, sideline, touchdown. Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, well, we've got two very important topics to cover um, with the NFL season coming up quickly here. First and foremost, your Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins, for the first time ever, decided that he was going to speak boldly on a topic. And unfortunately, it was one that seems to be a bit polarizing, and that is the coronavirus <laughs> So we we will uh, discuss Kirk Cousins' comments. Um, we're not going to get political with it, but we'll have some fun with the timing and the decision there. And then uh, we will focus on kind of the real meat here, and I'm sure the reason why you're listening to this show, and that is the Yannick Ngakwe sign and trade um, situation that resulted in something very different for Riley Reef's circumstances as well. So we've got sort of an interconnecting subject there. Um, we will break down the importance of adding another defensive end, of, especially one of his caliber, as well as the potential consequences as it relates to Riley Reef. So that is the that is the game plan for today's show. Um, so let's jump right into it here with Kirk Cousins. So we are recur- recording on Wednesday, September 2nd. Um, if you have been completely off of social media or have not checked the internet recently, it has be- been for lack of a better term, a bit of a shitstorm since Kirk Cousins decided to uh, give his take on the coronavirus. And for what it's worth, this was on a recording on the Kyle Brandt podcast. Um, Kirk Cousins was speak asked to speak about the coronavirus, and this was back in July, um, which really doesn't help his situation no. much for what it's worth. But it is worth noting that this was not a live broadcast. This is something that was said in the past. Uh he made a few interesting comments about it. The one that is really getting some traction and really gaining steam is the one, uh, the if I die, I die comment. Yeah. Interesting situation, uh, interesting way to go uh, there. And then, of course, there is just the natural reaction from uh, people in general who want to politicize the statement and want to turn it into a you know red versus blue thing. And of course that has created its own uh, yeah. situation in itself. So we here are going to, we're going to stick to the comments themselves and we're not going to get too much into the politics. I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand, but that's not the goal of the show. I don't think any of you, and if you are, if you're coming here for your political takes, you are definitely in the wrong spot because oh, I don't think yeah. here <laughs> fire off anything radical. So Drew, what are your thoughts on Kirk Cousins and his, yeah. dis- his timing here and the, the way that he decided to elaborate his thoughts on the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, that's the surprising thing for me and the thing to take away is that, you know, Kirk Cousins has always been the cliche guy, right? Like the coach speak in the press conferences um, doesn't really say – like he he's great at going through press conferences without, without saying anything, right? He just kind of – um, he gives your your standard quotes about you know about the game about football about 
throughout the coronavirus and with everything else going on, there hasn't he hasn't said much when he's been asked about it. It's just been kind of cliche terms that don't mean actually a whole lot. And then here, whether it was because he was comfortable with Kyle Brandt or whatever the case may be, on his ten questions show, uh, you know he, um, I mean I'm not I don't have the exact quote. I'm pulling it up. up. I'm pulling it up as you go. It's it. The thing is like. If you glance through Twitter, you're going to say you're going to see if I die, I die. Like he did to say that, but it was part of a larger context of information that he was saying. So, so this is uh, I've got it pulled up here. This is exactly verbatim what yeah, Kurt okay. said, um, and this is in response. This is not actually the original comment. I'm reading the response that he gave later on today, right now. Okay, um, this, so this is, is clarified. This is clarifying uh, what he was trying to say. Yep. Uh, the original quote was based around kind of the saying survival of the fittest. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. his mentality. Right. Um, he has since responded to the array of criticism, which has came from everyone from ESPN's Ryan Clark to local journalists across the country. And he said, what I was trying to say back then, admittedly, I probably wasn't as clear as I would have liked to have been. No shit, Kirk. But what I wanted to say then, what I would echo again now, is that while the virus does not give me a great amount of personal fear, and I think that's a very important piece here, there's still great reason for me to engage in wearing a mask and social distancing and washing my hands as frequently as I can and following protocols that have been set in place, obviously to be respectful and considerate of other people. Another very important piece there, Kirk, which is very important. And then also to be available for all 16 games this fall because as protocol is set up, if a player were to test positive, they would be potentially out of the game or games. And that is the most important piece from a football perspective, Kirk. Thank you for highlighting that note as well. And finally, he said, there's plenty of reasons to wear a mask, social distance, and be very vigilant to help stop the spread of the virus. That was the heart of what I was trying to say in July. Admittedly, I didn't say it as clear as I would have liked to. So I just want to share the message, the same message again, and hopefully articulate it a little bit better. But that has always been my heart. And as again, now just trying to say that. So to, to kind of get back to what he was what he said so incorrectly, I think the part that really, really rubbed people the wrong way was when he said, I'm not going to call anybody stupid. So you're kind of calling people stupid. Yeah. <laughs> For the trouble it would get me in. Now you're definitely calling people stupid. But I'm at about 0. 0.00001 out of 10 to complete that statement for him. That was, yeah. a, that was when Kyle Brandt asked help. him about his level of concern, I believe, for, right. for right. the virus. Um, and again, we're not trying to get too far into this. We won't spend a ton of time on it. But it's just, I think I think Kirk's take is that, uh, well, it, it doesn't matter. It ultimately doesn't matter. You know, the thing is, he's following what he needs to do. Um, he's being, he said he's being respectful. Um, clearly, he doesn't, he, it, it now, I don't want to put words in his mouth that he didn't say. Um, he didn't say the terms blown out of proportion, but I think that's kind of what he believes about this whole thing. So, um, right. but the thing is, at the end of the day, if he's doing what he needs to do, if he's not passing it along to high risk people, that's kind of what you want out of him, you know? So that as, as long, you know, this, that's what this, this is set up to be a super uh, crazy old takes exposed here. Um, if something were to happen with the Vikings and COVID knock on wood, whether it's Kirk himself or somebody in the locker room or whatever, you know, that these quotes are going to be right back up in the news again. So, um, 
as long as he and his teammates are following guidelines and, and being smart, not being stupid, and as you said, able to play 16 games, then I don't have a whole lot of uh, care for actually how he feels about it. Okay, so there's a couple things on this subject. And again, I'm not going to get political here, but I will. I have no problem stating the moral ground here and the ethical rules as it relates to society, right? So there's two sides here. There's one side that believes that masks are counteracting the virus, stopping the spread, helping keep people healthy. And then there is one side, of course, that doesn't believe that to be the case. These people um, think that the masks are uncomfortable, they're not helpful, they're not doing anything to stop the spread of the virus. And quite frankly, they're not very afraid of the virus in general. Now, there are objective statistics to side with one side over the other here, deaths being the most prominent figure thrown out there, right? So, like Drew said, the funniest part about this, really, is that Kirk Cousins decided to comment on this, a very, very polarizing topic, if not the most polarizing topic we have seen in half Mm -hmm. a decade in the NFL, and he decided to go right in there, right? Like he didn't just, he didn't hold back. He didn't hold back. He did not hold back. He And he didn't walk the line either. No eggshells were stepped. A lot of eggshells were stepped on really. I mean, he just kind of went all in and did his thing. And I think what you're saying with the comfortability with Kyle Brandt is probably a factor here because Kyle Brandt seems to get a lot of interesting stuff out of players. Um, not even on purpose. Like he wasn't even poking the fire yeah. here. Yeah, well, that's, kind I, of, mean, I think it was Aaron Rodgers quotes about like kind of when he sort of opened up about when the Packers drafted Jordan Love and how he felt about it. And like that was all on Kyle Brandt's show too. So he has a way with players that seems to kind of provide some more insights that maybe that they would give versus like a press conference with local media. So there's something that he's doing right because, right. you know, his show is exploding because of it, right? And I mean, he's also very entertaining. He's he is. generally very good at what he seems like yeah. a very kind person. Yeah, and like you said, seems like he's very good at what he does. So back to Cousins here, he didn't go, he went straight to the side of saying that the coronavirus essentially in his world does not matter. Now, there's a couple things to pick apart with that statement. First of all, in his world, the coronavirus really it doesn't matter all that much. I'm not being insensitive here. I'm just saying for Kirk Cousins' purpose as a super multi-multi-millionaire, someone who can, can pay for expensive treatment if necessary. Someone, someone who's very who healthy. Extremely healthy, yes. Someone who is around a family that is very young and does not fit the bill as someone as a high-risk individual. So realistically, like he's speaking truth, right? Like that's true. The insensitive portion here is twofold. One, the fact that he it didn't appear to be acknowledging, and now he has since clarified, did not appear to be, be acknowledging the severity of the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, this is something that has shut down countries across the world. And, of course, it's changed the dynamic in the United States dramatically. And I'm sure there are people listening to this show right now that are very sensitive to this topic, that have you know potentially lost their job or lost a loved one even to yeah. death. I mean, this is an extremely sensitive topic, and I'm not here to tell you how to think. If you want to be one way, be that way. If you want to be another way, be that way. I'm not going to tell you which way I am. Because I'm not here to do that. But the point is, is that Kirk Cousins decided that, you know, it certainly sounded like he did not care about it. And that was not the right level. Uh, that was not the right motion to pass to the general public that is very divided on so many issues right now. It was just was it was a divisive action and it was Kirk Cousins. So, you know, it was accidental. Right. But it was still a divisive action. And this and the most important problem kind of here that has been created was that you're a quarterback of an NFL team, your opinion matters so much more than you think it does. 
Now, yeah. while whether you do not deserve that responsibility of having that kind of a, that power of influencing millions of people, you still have to hone it and you have to live with it because you decided this route for your career. You decided to be an NFL quarterback. That means that people in Minnesota are going to take what you say very seriously and they're going to go one way or the other with it, right? They're either going to say, I love Kirk Cousins because he thinks the coronavirus is stupid or I hate Kirk Cousins because he doesn't acknowledge the severity of the situation. That's a problem. And the main problem here is that the coronavirus is serious. It needs to be taken seriously. So for people who just read, read the headline, and they're they're going to kind of take that as like, okay, Kirk Cousins doesn't think the coronavirus doesn't matter. He thinks it doesn't matter. I also now think the coronavirus doesn't matter. Now, you might not think those people are sheep, but there are plenty of people out there that are going to literally read that headline, and they're going to think that way. And that's a problem oh, in this yeah. country. And that's a problem created by Kirk Cousins, inadvertently probably, but it was created today. Yeah, well, I think also I wanted to add, like, the, the media outlets running with that quote, if I die, I die. Like, oh, yeah. that's amplifying it, too, and the whole, like, .001 thing, like, just kind of cherry-picking those quotes is, is not helping either. Because, like you said, there are people that are, um, you know, very, like, you know, it's, it's still it's a hoax, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is ample, is kind of giving fuel to that fire, so to speak. And so that's not helping things at all. Um, but, yeah, it's just the... He's the thing about it is he's been so aware of the fact that he does have a platform, right? It seems like he hasn't been controversial in the past, has not said something uh, divisive, and I don't know if he just—I mean, it's it is Kirk Cousins, you know, so we, it's possible he just did not know how much of a hot topic this is on social media. Like, he might not be on social media at all over the last four months. He might have just been on there and having his agency or whatever post stuff for him, and that's it. Like. I wouldn't, I wouldn't surprise me, but clearly he doesn't, he, I don't think he knew how divisive it was and didn't look into that because it, I would have expected him to be like, yeah, you know, on that scale of a one to 10, I'm about a five. I, I'm a, I liked how the NFL's handling things. Our test numbers are really good right. and uh, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like that's, that's what any, like, if you're trying not to make a statement, so to speak, that's what you would say. So uh, I don't know. He, whatever. Like, that's the thing. At the end of the day, he can say what he wants. He can believe what he wants. He can push for what he wants. Um, but as long as he follows what he's supposed to do, does not get the virus or transmit somebody serious, um, probably more importantly, uh, then that's, that's all that really matters. I, I do think that's probably the most important takeaway here. You know, we can go through whether this was morally correct or ethically correct, or, you know, he hurt, he, he did not take strong action when his responsibility to Minnesotans as kind of a face and a leader, you can go through all of that. I'm not going to have that discussion with you, but the big purpose thing here is that Kirk Cousins, he, he, he's not trying to be polarizing. No, he's not. He's he, not. He's just, There's no way. He's probably just oblivious, like you said. Yeah. And think he's he too, can have whatever from what I know about his, from what I know about him, he's too nice of a guy to actively be trying to upset other people, right? And so, and that's what. If, if he intent like if his intent was to make the statement, he would have known. I I know this about him. I know he's this smart at least. He would have known that there'd be a lot of people upset about it. He did not try to. I think he just the words that he used were not the right words. Uh, they definitely but, weren't. So, <laughs> they definitely weren't the right words. Right. If you're trying to avoid being polarizing, which I think he was, but I do think it's important to remember here, regardless of what side you fall on in the whole mass debate regardless of where you fall in politics, whatever, like he's entitled to his own opinion, right? 
And yeah. as long as he's not hurting other people, and I think you said this multiple times throughout this little segment here, as long as he's not hurting other people and he's being respectful, I mean, that's all you can really ask, right? Of another person, just be yeah. respectful of someone else's again, case. If he, gets, if he gets the virus or somebody inside the organization gets it and whatever the case may be, that's when we come back to these quotes and be like, all right, Kirk, like, you know. But hey, so mistake. far, so far, knock on wood, like so far it's been been pretty solid. So absolutely. We'll All right. So that's uh, that's probably good on Kirk Cousins. You can get your political views from another podcast. Um, let's talk about actual football and the Vikings who are playing in, I believe, I believe as of this recording in 12 days. So it's probably a good idea to ramp up the football action here. And the Vikings definitely did that for us by making a move that. I don't want to say it's unprecedented because this is something the Vikings have actually done before, and that's trading high round picks for a key playmaker that they think could be, you know, a huge difference in a potential yeah. playoff run, right? And that's going out and getting Yannick Ngakwe. That's the correct way of pronouncing that that first name, by the way. It's Yannick, not Yannick. Um, from the De- Jacksonville Jaguars, who is set to play on a franchise tag for just over, I think, $18 million. And what happened was is the Vikings traded a second round pick and a conditional fifth-round pick to Jacksonville. That conditional fifth can become a third if the Vikings win the Super Bowl. So if all things fall the way that the Vikings want them to upon this trade, Jacksonville will get a two and a three, which seems fair, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes to Minnesota, and the Vikings, as you all are very you know, acutely aware, did not have a whole lot of cap space. But Ngakwe decided that he was going to take a $12 million contract on a one-year deal just to not play in Jacksonville, which immediately <laughs> immediately makes me like him just as a human being that he wanted to come to Minnesota that bad that he's going to take $6 million off, plus there's state tax in Minnesota. There isn't in Florida, so that's just another little piece right there. Right. He took a lot of money out of his pocket to come play for Andre Patterson and Mike Zimmer and opposite of Daniil Hunter, which is a huge, huge, huge improvement to this team, just in pre- like in premise, right? Now, we can look back at a couple things here. We can look back at the Jared Allen trade and how big of a deal that was, you know, back in, what, 2007 when the Vikings traded their first-round pick and how big of a difference that became. Obviously, Jared Allen is a legend in Minnesota now, so Ngakwe would have, you know, probably needs about eight more years of unprecedented success in Minnesota to really match that level of compensation the Vikings got back then. But keeping in mind, too, this is for a second-round pick and not a third And I do think it's important here for those of you who are evaluating the trade on its merit, the objective pieces of it, and who got the better value, keep in mind the situation that we're heading into next year for the draft and how difficult scouting is going to be with a lot of players not even playing. And there's also the legal aspects, which I believe Andrew Brandt has tweeted about a handful of times on the business side of football, which will make things more difficult in April next year too. But from a pure football standpoint, Vikings get a great pass rusher, what's kind of your initial thoughts on this player, your your thoughts on how he fits into the Vikings team? Well, he fits, I mean, well, right? Uh, the Vikings needed a pass rusher. Now, Fadio Denbo showed a ton last year in a limited rotational role. So I think a lot of people, and himself included, I think he even tweeted something like fool's gold or I don't know what it was, something like that, right when the trade happened. So clearly he's motivated to and was motivated as to be the starter at that spot this year. Um, but... You know, Yannick. I want to make sure I say that right. Yannick, Yannick is a is a is a serious playmaker, and uh, like Jacksonville had so many stars on defense that 
you know, he it was it's really a shame that he didn't get noticed until I guess after they really made that run. Um, but he has been a stud for that team, um, and the production speaks for itself. And um, now it you know opposite Neil Hunter, it was there was kind of some worry about whether Hunter would be, you know, more the the subject of more double teams, and what have you. I still think that's kind of likely with Griffin gone, but I think, you know, Ngakwe at the very least will take some of that pressure off. So I like the move um, and I love that he took $5 million less, uh, probably more considering the tax uh, situation that you referred to, uh, to play in Minnesota with a team that um, it's so weird to figure out, is this team a contender? Are they trying to contend? Are they trying to build for the future? Uh, Minnesota still hasn't really identified itself in that, um, in that category. But one thing I want to also add, is we all laugh at Rick Spielman for his draft pick hoarding. Uh, right. But this is what he does it for. Uh, he does it so that he can, you know, because he still has probably, what, 10, 11 picks in the draft next year or something like that. Like, he still is totally good on, on draft capital. So uh, this is exactly why he hoards those picks, is so he can use them to make these moves when, like late in the offseason, it becomes clear, okay, Harrison Griffin's not coming back. So now you have to make a move at pass rusher if you can. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I'm all on board with the move. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. I do wish or wonder if the Vikings maybe considered the, you know, Jadavian Clowney route. Um, what it becomes more interesting is. given yeah. kind of the way this situation unfolded. Right, right. You wonder now, now that we know Yannick is playing on $12 million. I do think that's a little bit lower than Clowney's probably going to get or is asking for. So now, and with that, with knowing that it probably makes a little more sense, but I do wonder if the Vikings kind of knocked on that door at all. It It's, it's definitely interesting to think about, but that last point that I think you made is I remember the last reported number that Clowney wanted was an average annual salary of $20 million per year, right. which isn't going to happen. Especially now. Like, Especially now, this yeah. is just the wrong offseason for him to be trying to get that massive contract. Absolutely, and so the Vikings automat like effectively get a guy who, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say he's the same level of caliber as Jadavian Clowney because Clowney's a really good player and a guy that impacts the game in a number of different ways, but you kind of get a discount Clowney because Ngakwe isn't just known for being a pass rusher. When you call him a playmaker earlier, like that is that is the the pure definition of this player, right? He has played four years in the NFL. He has 14 forced fumbles to start. He's already led the league in the excuse me. He's already led the NFL in forced fumbles one time, and he's already had three seasons with four or more forced fumbles, which is incredible because that's not something that you really. I mean, you can teach you know a good way to form tackle and pry the ball out, but. There's certain guys who have a nose for the ball, right? And Vikings fans know this with Charles Tillman. I mean, there's no explanation for why Charles Tillman was able to pry that ball out so many times, right? Well, and Kakwe appears to, at a significantly different position, have you, but seems to have that same nose for the ball in not just creating sacks, but he's always around the football, right? And he's forcing fumbles, he's recovering those fumbles, and he's racking up those numbers that lead to sacks, that are quantified by companies like pro football focus, but are not kind of trademark stats. Right. So like, if you look at Ngakwe's like standard line, right. If you look at his tackles, his sacks, his game started, um, and his tackle for loss, he looks pretty good. Right. But if you look at the QB hits and the QB pressures and those numbers on top of it, 
he becomes one of the best in the business. I'm not saying he's a top 10 pass rusher. There's a lot of really good ones in the NFL right now, but he's certainly on the cusp of that kind of that level, I suppose. Um, and playing alongside Daniil Hunter now, it, you have to expect that he's going to get better matchups than he did when he was in Jacksonville. And the best player he was playing with was an aged Calais Campbell, who's still very good. But I like to think that playing opposite Daniel Hunter in a 4-3 front will give him more opportunities. So you like the situation that he comes into here, and you like the player. The potential is what makes it even more intriguing now, because he is playing on a one-year deal, right? There is a, I mean, there's a real chance that the Vikings just don't have him next year, and they ended up trading considerable draft capital for a guy that's not even going to be in Minnesota long-term. That's a little bit disappointing and something that we can kick the can down the road for in the future. But in general... Playing on this one-year deal, right, you get a player that is under 25, or excuse me, just above 25 years old, right in the same general kind of career path as Hunter, in that he has been successful since day one as a 21-year-old, he racked up eight sacks his rookie year, right? So you see the career trajectory, you have to be excited about that, and you have to be excited about the opportunity to work with Patterson, work with Mike Zimmer, and played opposite to Neil Hunter. And this looks like a really good situation for a player who was, you know, playing on a very great, like a very, very, very good defense in 2017, has continued to improve since that year. And now he gets the opportunity to play for another very good defense. And on top of that, two great defensive minds. And you can, I mean, you can argue even more so given the coaching staff that they have put together. But at the very least, Mike Zimmer, Andre Patterson, and Gakwe sounds like a, great combo for improving this player, you know, you know, going from a very solid early career to a very steady, strong, potentially Pro Bowl caliber, you know, mid to kind of peak level of his career. Right. I think that's the exciting part is Andre Patterson and Mike Zimmer. It seems like any player they get their hands on quickly becomes much more effective and much better, right? Um, you know, you can't even, Hunter is an example. Everest Griff is an example. Um, you can look on the interior with Lindell Joseph. There's an example there. Like these guys come from either different teams or they get uh, quickly drafted by Minnesota and they instantly become super productive. If Adio Denbo is another one, you know, last season, what he had seven and a half sacks and limited uh, snaps. So uh, that is exciting in itself. And I think if you can't address cornerback at all, like besides the draft picks that the Vikings did invest, I think the next thing you can do is add a pass rusher to maybe, you know, increase that pressure on the quarterback and, um, yeah, again, help out those DBs that can, are going to need it, uh, those cornerbacks that are going to need that help. You can't really add the safeties because you already have two of the best safeties in football. Um, so what you can do is add a, an extra pass rusher there to alleviate some of that pressure off those young corners that um, have almost no experience. So I like that move. Um, now, what we should mention is the Riley Reef situation that uh, nearly became sort of a big loss, right? So there are the consequences almost, to this trade. The Vikings, in, in a sense, almost traded a what a second and I guess a fourth or fifth and Riley Reef uh, for Yannick Ngakwe. It was almost like that, you know. And the Riley Reef, I think. Well, I think what he took. I don't think the official numbers are out yet for the pay cut that he took, but. Uh, the fact that he, you know, had to take 24 hours, and it seemed like for a, almost a whole day, myself, any Vikings fan following closely, understood, yeah, he was gone. And then it was there was the rumors of Brian O'Neill left tackle, and then Rashad Hill is going to be the starting left tackle, and um, 
there was, I think, what was the o, Udo, Oli Udo, that's right, was going to be the starting right tackle. And it, there was all kinds of hoopla about the, the shift at offensive line two weeks before the season, mind you. Right. And I think right. I think Reef kind of got pressured into taking a pay cut because a, um, you know, the Vikings sort of said, okay, we made this trade for a star. We need you. To, you're kind of the next piece now to take this pay cut. We need you to do it. And B, you know, what's he going to do if he doesn't take? He's going to be cut. And was going to go to another team two weeks before the season? Like probably not. Not play till probably week four. Gonna, probably. He's probably not going to learn a, a new system and with all the COVID protocols and all that going on. There's no way he's going to figure that out and essentially play a full 2020 season. So they, he kind of got screwed in some sense here. But, you know, I, I'm personally glad that he took the pay cut to be the left tax. He is, I, I would say, the number two, at the least, uh, offensive lineman on the team. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it gives the Vikings more flexibility with him there, too, of course. I mean, there has been rumors that he might move back to left guard at some point, a position he played for all of five games in college, by the way, which I don't really – subscribe to the Vikings theory on moving tackles to guard as it's played out over the last 10 plus. Well, they've already done it with Ezra Cleveland this year. So yeah, I don't really subscribe to that. Um, but again, something we can kick down the road and complain about another time, but Riley reef apparently will remain in Minnesota, which is big. Um, and like you said, that it very, it very much looked like he was going to be a casualty of this transaction, right? Um, the Vikings were scraping the barrel after signing, Ngakwe to a deal that, like we mentioned before, was considerably lower than what he was, you know, expected to make on a franchise tag, but also lower than what he probably would have signed as a multi-year extension as well. So the Vikings were, I believe, under a million dollars in salary cap following that trade. Yep. And then they reached out to Reef to give them sort of that fun money, right? Like if someone gets hurt, what are you going to do? You got to yeah. bring someone in. You got to have some level of kind of cap flexibility. That was something that this trade kind of took away from the Vikings. So that was the main consequence here. And in order to fix that situation, you talk to Riley Reef, who, first of all, let's just say this real quick. I love the Vikings. I support everything they do. But this was kind of this was not a kind move from a business to business perspective, right? This is not treating Riley Reef with respect. And you alluded to it. It's two weeks before the NFL season starts. What is he supposed to do if right. if they do cut him, right? Or if he chooses that he's not going to restructure? What is he going to do? Well, you know, it's something the Vikings are have the ability to do, right? There's a reason why they have that June 1st cut deadline where, like, you know, if you're expecting to make X amount of money and you're not cut before June 1st, then you're going to get some level of a severance package, essentially, right? But you still don't have a job. And in the midst of all of this, like, this is just not a cool move by the Vikings. Like, from Riley Reef's camp, like, I would not be happy. Because you're putting him in a very difficult position. And you're essentially saying, do you want more money or less money? Because th that's, that's the question here. It's like, do you want to have the money in your hand now that you get with this restructured contract? Or do you want to try to sign a veteran's one-year contract and play right. eight games next year and go into free agency next year following the pandemic, which might actually be worse somehow? So really tough situation for Riley Reef. I think he made the right decision for his family, for himself. And that's not just coming as a Vikings fan who wants to see the offensive line perform well. That's, uh, that's just business straight up. I think he's in a really difficult spot if he's not on the Vikings. Now, it remains to be seen how much of a pay cut he took. I mean, this is a guy that was, I think was set to make about $12 million. Or 12 or something. I don't something know. Like that. I, think was, I, mean, I think it was 11. Something like 
So even if he comes down to eight, I mean, we're talking about a lot of money that he was expecting to make this year and, you know, as a result of this trade, may no longer do so. So I, I think the – the so there's no uh, – there's no – transaction consequence, if you will. Like, Riley Reef is not going to be a casualty of this trade. However, Riley Reef's happiness in this organization is certainly a, ca- a casualty here. Um, he, I can't imagine that he's going to be with the Vikings after this year. And to be frank with you, I don't think the Vikings really care. But this is the situation that, ha- as it's unfolded, yeah. and, you know, fortunately, it looks like the Vikings will have his, quote, veteran leadership uh, with the organization for at least one more year. Now... The other casualty here is as a result of signing a guy like Ngakwe, who's going to start and is going to play 80% of the snaps, if not more so, you said so earlier, you have probably a not-so-happy Fede Odenigbo, who has shown over the last year or so that he has potential. The question is how much potential. It's probably not quite the same level as Ngakwe's potential. I I don't think there's anyone here that will argue me argue with me that Fede Odenigbo is a more talented kind of potential star in the league as it relates to Ngakwe, right? You, you got the better player here, but unfortunately you pissed off a younger guy who looks pretty good too. Now, the good thing is that Odenigbo, and this is something that Mike Zimmer alluded to in a recent press conference, that you can kick him inside and you can play him at three technique because he's big enough to do that. And that way you can theoretically have your best front four still on the defensive line with Hunter sticking on the left side and Gakwe sliding in at Everson Griffin's role on the right side, kicking Odenigbo into that three technique spot for, you know, 40% of the game or something like that. And then you have Shamar Stefan, your, you know, your clogger, your placeholder there playing alongside him. And theoretically, you get the best possible front four there. Instead of eliminating, you know, yeah. Odenigbo from the, the situation entirely, you're eliminating one of those kind of role players, Jaleel Johnson. Uh, you know, Stefan to a degree as well. The couple of rookies, I mean, the younger players, Armin Watts, one of those guys is going to get less snaps as a result. And that's, you know, if you're a Vikings fan, it's the best possible scenario, right? You got two premier Pro Bowl caliber, all pro caliber players, if you will, on the outside. And then, uh, you know, I don't like Shamar Stefan, but he is still in the league for a reason, right? Like he is dependable. Right, that's a good adjective for Shamar Steph, and he's dependable. He goes out there and he plays snaps. So you've you got him there still, and now you get Odenigbo in that three tech role, which he could really shine. It's very, you know, it's realistic, I suppose. Even if he wasn't planning on playing there, that might be the right spot for him and kind of the yeah. best. You wonder if if he can make that transition, if he can make that transition now. I mean, but I mean, I think that this point needs to be hammered more. I think you know these guys are human beings, and they, you know. Riley Reef was banking on $11 million this year, you know, and uh, out of nowhere, two weeks before the season, he finds out he's going to make three or four or less. And he, his only option is to either make three or four less or make potentially none of it. So like, or I guess, I don't know what the, what his, I guess, cap penalty would be or what he would get from the Vikings for being cut. But uh, he sort of was cornered there and didn't have a way out. So uh, I, I, you know, I think John Krasinski, the, uh, from the athletics said something like, um, you know, he's a pro's pro. He's going to handle it the right way, but I'm sure inside he's feeling a little bit upset about it, which I, anybody would, you know, you just basically the team you're playing for is like, you know what, just because you want to, we're not going to let you have uh three or $4 million of your contracts. No big deal. And then, uh, you know, with Odenabo, like the guy seemingly earned a starting role and the kind of, the door was open for him there, uh, with Griffin leaving and another guy, you know, you hope both of these guys 
I guess, channel, I don't want to say channel it the right way, the anger, because I don't think there's a right way. I have no idea what the potential loss of millions of dollars feels like. I'm not going to know what it feels like. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of hope these guys channel it in a way that's more like a motivation, like prove people wrong type of thing. Um, but I guess I wouldn't blame them for being a little salty about it because, you know, that's in Odenabo's case, it's the opportunity to earn yourself a big contract that has been taken away or at least delayed for a season. Whereas with Reef, it's just straight up three to four million dollars potentially, depending on the actual details of that that restructure. So it's a lot of dollars. A lot of dollars we're talking that uh, a couple of guys may have just gotten a little bit screwed on by this decision. But, uh, you know, again, if this if, if the Vikings, it works out and they make a Super Bowl run or something like that miraculously, then I think it'd be all worth it for everybody involved. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the one thing I will say is, you know, when you're talking about millionaires as average people, if you will, <laughs> three to four million dollars out of eleven million dollars doesn't sound like that big of a deal, right? You know, like it just yeah. like, well, what's another million dollars to them? Well, okay, let me phrase it like this: If we have our numbers correct, right, and he's take he's going to lose out on about three million dollars, we're talking about a twenty-seven and a half percent pay cut. Now think about your paycheck, okay? And let's say your boss comes up to you and says, instead of a promotion. We're going to take 25, a little bit more than 25% of your paycheck, and we're going to use it to make the team better. So you need to be a team player. You need to be a pro's pro about this. Otherwise, you're going to look bad. You'd be pissed. You'd be really pissed. I would be pissed. 25% of my paycheck? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> so this is a tough situation for all involved, maybe to a degree in Gakwe as well, because he did also take you know, a significantly more. He did. I, I, too. My guess is he's a little happy about it based on some of the things he said about Jacksonville. He's right. He, it was right. a desperate case. Of, yeah, it was desperation where he just wanted to be out of there. But the point is still stands that he took a lot less money to play in Minnesota, which seems to be a trend lately of players taking less money to play in Minnesota. So hopefully the culture is good enough. And maybe we're wrong. about it. Maybe Reese just like, yeah, whatever. You know, I like being in Minnesota because he is from South Dakota. So maybe he, uh, you know, wants to be close to home and likes that and is OK doing that for the home team. I that's the thing is I don't know him. So um, I don't know if I did demo either. I can only speculate as a reasonable human being. And I think most reasonable human beings would be pretty pissed about the situation. I know know what my salary is. And if I was – my boss came to me and was like, hey, 25% cut right now for the rest of the 2020 year. And I'd be like – okay, who do I need to talk to to get this fixed? You know, like (laughs) there's – there's it just – and football is different. It's a bit different business. Guys are making more money, and it's it's different. And and I get that, but it's just it. When you put it this way, it doesn't sound like an awesome move by the team. So maybe maybe there's other things going on that we don't know about that are kind of returning the favor, so to speak. Um, but this is just all speculation and kind of our our thoughts as just like normal people of like how we would respond to those yeah. things. Absolutely, and I think that's a fair response. I think that you know, if Riley, Re- if you are Riley Reef, and let's say you're not mad about this, right? Let's say you're Riley Reef, and he's the complete opposite of every rational person that I know, and he's fine with this. I mean, <laughs> first of all, good on him because that's you know good for you for living such you know kind of a pleasant, having such a pleasant mindset that you're just okay with that. But if like there's no real way to spin this right where you look at it from the from his perspective and you say this is okay this is acceptable in any other setting in the entire world 
It's just not. Yeah. The, see, the, the one way, like the way NFL contracts are structured, you could say something like, well, maybe because there's other guys on this team in theory that could be that candidate for the restructure. So you could say, well, OK, like you could have performed better than this player. And then he would have been the one taking the pay cut for $3 million, something like that. That's the one thing I could see somebody making the argument for. Um, I, I still don't, you know, with this late into the season, you don't, you, it's kind of still screwing the player by not giving him a chance to really evaluate and give, you know, a, a full decision and a full opportunity to, you know, maybe go somewhere else and play a season. So, but hey, you know, hopefully Riley's happy. Um, hopefully the Vikings, uh, you know, like I said, hey, the one thing that would make all this everybody happy is a Super Bowl run. So hopefully that can. Hey, if they go, if they go twelve and four, and make it to the NFC Championship game, I know it would still be a disappointing end from you know the fan perspective because you know it's Super Bowl or bust every year in our minds basically. But if you go twelve and four, and make the NFC Championship, I think Riley Reef's probably okay so long as he also you know is competing yeah, and yeah. helping well, the Vikings get there. Yeah, he's that's probably thing. fine. I mean, that's not that we didn't even discuss is actually how where he is in terms of left tackles in the league. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I, I, the term average is so derogatory in context sometimes, but like an average left tackle is like really valuable in the NFL. So definitely, um, I would put him in that category uh, loosely. You know, I think he there's absolutely flashes of of much better than average too. So I don't know, I. I that's kind of we, we sort of went a few different directions with this Riley Reef, uh, Yannick and Gakaway trade, uh, kind of intertwining details here. But I don't know. I, I, I just hope it works. Definitely out. didn't get from another podcast though, right? It's unique. Probably. Yeah. It's unique content. It's Yannick it's, content. Oh, okay. It, Yannick <laughs> content. Wow. All right. Well, that uh, <laughs> we'll that wrap. Is, that's how you show. wrap it up. That's how you yeah. wrap it up. Yeah, uh, we'll wrap up the show on that. Uh, so thank you for listening. As always, make sure to check out the rest of the Climb in the Pocket Network. I'm speaking to those guys earlier today. It sounds like we've got a lot of content coming for the regular season. And um, so make sure to check out what we got going there. Daily Norseman as well. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Spotify as well. Pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. And you can also find Drew and myself on YouTube if you'd like to enjoy your content in that format. So um, next week we will continue to follow the news cycle to a degree and react accordingly and uh, get you ready for that first game with Green Bay, which is coming up a lot faster than I think a lot of us are realizing um, as a result of this pandemic. So uh, thanks for joining us again today. Uh, make sure to leave your thoughts in the Daily Norseman comments section if you aren't doing so already. And we will catch you guys next week.